This is Anchored in Christ, the sermon podcast that gives you hope in the gospel as an anchor for your soul. Brought to you from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. Our second scripture reading this morning is taken from Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, then verses 6 through 8, and then Romans 12, verses 17 and 18. Paul says, therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand, and we boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Indeed, rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, someone might actually dare to die. But God proved his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then in Romans 12, verses 17 and 18, Paul says, do not repay evil, anyone evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. If it is possible, So far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Let's bow for prayer. Gracious God, we ask that you would open our hearts and our minds to what you have to say to us. And we just um, listen for your word as it applies to our lives. And so we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Today's sermon is the fourth in a short series of Advent sermons Scott and I are doing titled Simply Incarnate. And we are using as a companion to this series a book called Simple Church, the book we've been sort of referencing a bit. Simple Church Returning to God's Process for Making Disciples. And as we have mentioned before, Simple Church highlights a strategic process churches can use that help people move from where they are in their spiritual growth as disciples and to become disciples. And the four parts of the strategic process that the book mentions are clarity, movement, alignment, and focus. Simple Church defines the word focus as simply saying yes to the best and no to everything else. During this Advent season, we have talked about hope and love. And last Sunday, Scott talked about joy and how we are to align our lives and our church with joy. And this morning, we are focusing on our fourth and final theme of Advent, which is peace. Both of our scripture lessons that we read this morning talk about the importance of focusing on peace. I don't know about you, but when I think of peace today, I think about how elusive it appears to be, it seems to be. I am reminded of the true story, this is a true story, about a retired couple who were so alarmed by the threat of nuclear war 
that they, to study, they decide to study all of the inhabited places on the face of the earth. And their goal was to determine what part of the world would least likely be involved in a war. And they were trying to find a safe place to live where they could live out their lives in peace. And so after thoroughly studying the whole planet, many countries traveling all over the world, they finally found the place, the safe place to live. And so on Christmas Eve, 1981, they sent some friends a Christmas card from their new home in the Falkland Islands. Now, the ironic thing, of course, was that just after they moved there and just after they sent out their Christmas card, a war started there. A couple of months later, in early 1982, between Great Britain and Argentina over the ownership of the Falkland Islands. You remember that? The peace this couple thought they had found was indeed very short-lived. The peace our scripture texts talk about, uh, the, script, the peace our scripture texts talk about is a peace that comes into our lives not by living in the right place, although sometimes that happens, but by having the right relationship with God and with one another. The Bible defines peace as not just the absence of trouble and conflict in our lives, although that's part of it, as we so often think about when we think of peace, but everything that makes for our highest good and well-being and the highest good and well-being of others. That's really sort of a biblical understanding of the word peace. Now, there are many things we could say about peace, right? It's a huge topic. But this morning, I just want to focus on, on two things. First of all, we are to focus on and say yes to peace during Advent and really all the time, not certainly just during Advent, because what we need is peace in our lives and especially peace with God. Now, in order to talk about why we need peace with God, we first need to be reminded of what gets in the way of us having peace with God, and that is us. <laughs> And especially the reality of sin in us. Now, most of us don't like to hear about sin and how it messes with our lives. We are like the Peanuts cartoon that shows Nancy talking to Charlie Brown. Those of you who remember Peanuts cartoon, still in the paper, actually, after all these years. And as you remember, Nancy has a way of constantly criticizing Charlie Brown, right? And one time she says to him, you know, the whole trouble with you is Charlie Brown. You know what the whole trouble with you is, Charlie Brown? And he looks at her and he says, no, and I don't want to know. Leave me alone. And as he starts to walk away, Nancy shouts back to him and she says, the whole trouble with you, Charlie Brown, is that you won't listen to what the whole trouble with you is. Like Charlie Brown, we also don't want to hear a lot about what the whole trouble with us is either, do we? In the first chapters of Romans, which we did not have time to read this morning in the first three chapters, Paul reminds us 
of what the whole trouble with us is. And one of the key verses is Romans 3.23, where Paul makes the statement that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. He does not say some have sinned. He says all have sinned. Theologians, uh, the Bible, well, the Bible constantly reminds us that all of us uh, have this sinful nature. Theologians refer to it sometimes as original sin. It's that tendency to do or to say things that are bad or evil or wrong and displeasing to God and hurtful to ourselves and others. As we've been reading through the Old Testament, sin just comes out on every page. I mean, it is just amazing how the prophets are always calling out the people's sin, things they've done, and especially idolatry. But what the scripture says is we are born with this sinful nature and we are born with what I like to call a sin, the sin gene, if you will. The sin gene is in all of us. I was reading earlier this week about a young boy in Oregon who has suffered a long time with a mysterious physical problem. His parents and doctors could not figure out exactly what was going on with him, what was causing these physical problems in his life. And after testing all of his 20,000 genes, his doctors discovered he, has, he had one unique gene that is causing a life-threatening progressive Neuro neurological disorder. This was just uh, in the news recently. And according to the boy's mother, it is a very rare gene. In fact, she's quoted as saying this. She says, she says, this gene is beyond rare. There are only 30 or 40 cases in the world. And apparently the worst part about this disorder caused by this rare gene is that there's no treatment or cure. When we think about sin as kind of like a gene inside of us, we are obviously not talking, saying that there is a literal gene in our body as it is for this little boy. But it seems to me that sin is kind of like a gene in that it is something that is inside of us, each one of us, and we are deeply affected by its presence in our lives. And unfortunately, in our case, it is not rare. It negatively affects in some way everything we say and do. But here's the deal. The worst part about sin, see, I told you we weren't going to want to hear about sin. The worst thing about sin is that it separates us from God, the Bible says. It alienates us from God. It puts us out of whack with God and with ourselves and with others. And it also puts us out of whack with God's purpose for our lives. Like the little boy, the presence of sin puts us in a life-threatening situation. Now, obviously, in describing sin as like a sin gene, I don't mean to imply that we have no choice in our sinning. We have been given free will, and we have a lot of choice as to whether we sin or not. But here's the point. Because sin alienates us from a just and holy God, we are not able to have fellowship with him. The relationship we are meant to have with him that we were created to have. 
Paul says again in the verses we did not read this morning that our sinful nature actually cuts us off from God. It disconnects us from God, from having that relationship. When I was in college many years ago, I worked at the front desk of an old hotel called The Leopold. Isn't that a great hotel name? The Leopold. It was one of those hotels that was built in the late 19th century or early 20th century, well before the modern use of uh, phone technology that we have today. And one of my responsibilities, this maybe says how old I am, but one of my responsibilities was to work one of those old-fashioned switchboards. You know those old-fashioned switchboards where people would call the hotel and they want you to connect to a room. They wanted to talk to somebody, so you'd have to figure out what room they're in. You'd take the cord and you'd plug it in. You know what I'm talking about? Switch it into the thing. Or they'd be in a room in the hotel and they wanted to talk to somebody else in the hotel, so you'd have to take their cord and switch it in, plug it into somebody else's cord. And so I would manually plug the phone plug into the appropriate jack in the switchboard, which would then connect to the room. Now, every now and then, I would plug people into the wrong room. Sometimes I would disconnect them. Even worse, cut them off entirely. That did not make them very happy, of course. And I didn't do it on purpose, at least most of the time. Paul says that the trouble with our sinful nature, our sinful orientation, is that it likewise cuts us off from God. It disconnects us from God, if you will. And the worst part about it is we can't do anything to change this ourselves. We can't effectively reverse the effects of sin in our lives, in our relationship with God, by ourselves. We need outside help to do it. Debbie and I recently watched a news report on the anniversary of that junior association football team that had, was rescued from a cave in northern Thailand in 2018. You remember that story? There were 12 boys and one coach. And they had gone into the cave one afternoon just thinking they were going to go in for a little while. And while they were there, the water rose. A heavy rain came. And it blocked the entrance to the cave so they could not get out. Remember that story? There were strong currents and rising water. And no one heard from them for a week. And authorities would, were afraid that they would drown. They would drown. Finally, two British divers got to them. And after discussing various options to how to get them out, they came up with a plan, a daring plan, actually, as I recall, and were able to rescue them, all of them, before the next monsoon hit. You may remember that it took an international team of people to rescue those 12 boys and one coach from drowning in that cave. An international team. Paul also says that we, too, need to be rescued. And for this to happen, we need outside help. And the outside help we need comes not through an international team of rescuers, but through one person, one rescuer. And who is that person? Jesus. 
He is the only one, the scripture says, who can rescue us from drowning in our sin and bring us real lasting peace with God. Paul says in Romans 5, 8, a verse we just read, he says this, he says, but God proves his love for us and that while we were still sinners, while we were drowning in our sin, Christ died for us. Christ, in a sense, rescued us. So in Romans 5, 1, Paul is able to say this. He is able to say, therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have what? We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, peace being everything that makes for our good and for the good of others. When we say that we are justified by faith, he is really saying that we are brought back into a right and restored relationship with God through, through faith in what Jesus has done and is doing for us. Like my switchboard, we are reconnected to God, if you will. Not by anything that we do, but, why, but what Jesus does for us when we plug in to him, when we connect to him, when we put our faith and trust in him and accept the work he has done on our behalf. Because of what God has done for us through the coming of Jesus into our world, this disconnect that came between us and God through sin is now done away. The cave that was flooded with water is now opened up. And we can begin to experience real deliverance, real wholeness, real peace with God. And the question is, have you experienced this peace with God in your life? Paul says we can when we put our faith in Jesus and trust our life to him. Secondly, we focus on and say yes to peace during Advent because Jesus not only opens up for us the way for peace with God, but also peace with one another. In the scripture verse we read a few moments ago from Romans chapter 12, Paul says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. And of course, there are many scriptures in the New Testament in the Bible that talk about this. I suspect that most of us would agree that it seems like no matter where we look today, both in our own lives and in our world, there appears to be a real deficit of peace between people and nations. And the reason is, or one of the reasons is, is because that same sin that keeps us alienated and separated from God also keeps us separated and alienated so often from one another. But here's the good news. It doesn't need to be that way. Paul says it is possible to find peace with others in the same way we find peace with God, and that is through Jesus. I know you have all heard the often true story of Christmas Eve 1914, but I mention it again only because it is a, such a great illustration of this. As you know, World War I was only five months old. Approximately 800,000 men had already been killed or wounded in that war. 
On that first Christmas Eve night, every soldier wondered whether Christmas Day would bring another round of fighting. But then something remarkable happened. And again, you know the story. British soldiers raised Merry Christmas signs, and soon the men on the front lines of both sides of the conflict were singing Christmas carols, right? And they began to lay down their arms. And as Christmas Day dawned, unarmed soldiers climbed out of their trenches in order to meet the enemy in the middle of no man's land for songs and conversation. And while they were there, they exchanged small gifts, mostly candy and cigars, cigarettes. These enemies passed Christmas Day peacefully along many miles of the Western Front. Can you imagine what that must have been like if you'd been in those foxholes, those trenches, and all of a sudden, peace broke out? At one place, British played soccer with the Germans, even. British won, but three to two or two to one, I think. In some places, this spontaneous truth that began on Christmas Eve continued until the next day, neither side wanting to fire the first shot. And this was the first time in what was going to be a long and weary war that these men experienced the secession of hostilities and some measure of peace. Again, it's a well-known story. They've made movies out of it, plays. I'm sure we have all are all aware of it. But I like to think that the reason peace broke out on that dreadful battlefield was because it was Christmas Eve and the soldiers on both sides were thinking about and reflecting on the birth of Jesus, the Prince of Peace, and about what Christmas really represents. And they just not, could not help but let peace burst forth somehow, even if it didn't last as long as they would have liked. Paul says the same kind of truth or peace that comes into our lives when we, put, when we are put right with God or justified by faith, as he says, justified with God through our faith in Jesus Christ, that same truce or peace that enables us to lay down our arms, if you will, against God is also the same kind of truce and peace that allows us to lay down our arms with others, enables us to become friends with others rather than enemies. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount in, Roman, uh, in Matthew 5, 9, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called children of God. What does it look like for us to be peacemakers? Well, if we had time this morning, which we don't, I'm sure we, we, we each could come up with a long list. But at the very least, being a peacemaker means, I think, that we must do all we can with the Spirit's leading and God's help to look for ways we can speak healing and wholeness and peace into our broken relationships, whatever those broken relationships might be whether it's with family members or friends or co-workers or our neighbors, with nations, whatever it may be. On a personal level, I think Paul encourages us to think about and Jesus encourages us to think about those people in our lives 
that we don't get along with, that we may be estranged from in some way, that maybe we have a difficult relationship with. And I'm guessing all of us have some of those people in our lives. And then we need to ask ourselves, what can I say? What can I do to help promote peace between us, a restored relationship between us? What can I do, as Paul says, to live peaceably with him or her? Now, again, this is usually a very difficult thing for us to do, especially on our own power and strength. And I am the first to admit it. But we can do it through the presence and power of Jesus working in and through us. I really believe that. The prophet Micah, we also read about, lived in a place and during a time of uncertainty and instability, very much like our time. And he prophesied that one would come from the city of Bethlehem, whose origins are from old, who will rule in Israel. And Micah says that this one who will come will feed his flock and will bring security and peace to the nation. I think whatever else Micah may have been referring to in his day when he did this prophecy, these verses usually are interpreted as prophetic, a prophetic word that ultimately comes, ultimately points to the coming of the ultimate Messiah. Most significant, Michael says that when this royal Messiah comes, he will be a person of peace, a prince of peace. And on this fourth Sunday of Advent, we are reminded that the Messiah, Micah, looked forward to, has indeed come into our world in the person of Jesus. And we focus on him. We say yes to him because he is the only one who can bring us lasting peace with God and peace with one another. Let's bow for prayer. Lord, it is so easy to talk about peace and so easy to affirm the value of peace and yet so difficult to actually attain, it seems. And sometimes we get overwhelmed by a world that seems to be at each other's throats all the time. And politics where people are at each other's throats and so many things that seem less than peaceful. And we can become feeling helpless and hopeless that anything could be done. Lord, we pray that you'd help us, even in our own lives, to do what we can not only to enjoy that peace that we can have with you through Jesus, but also the peace we can enjoy with one another. And we pray that you'd help us truly, as Jesus said, to be peacemakers in our families, in our communities, at our work, in our schools, wherever you place us. And again, we know we cannot do this on our own strength and power very well. We need your help through your spirit. And so we ask for that today. Help us to be known as people who bring peace and wholeness and everything that is good for ourselves and others 
into our world. Lord, we have a lot of prayer needs, a lot of things on our hearts today, and we lift up all of those concerns. And we ask that you would just be in the midst of every situation. We pray for the requests in the bulletin that you would be involved in each of those situations. And we ask that you would just bring peace and wholeness into our world and help us to be a part of that. And so we lift up our lives to you today, Lord. We give our lives to you and pray that you would use us for your glory. And so now we ask that you unite our hearts together as we pray that prayer you taught your disciples to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. If you'd like more information about our historic church, or you'd like to find out more about the gospel of Jesus, please visit our website at oldsouthnbpt.org. The peace of Christ be with you.